0: blog talk radio so you want your charity to succeed it's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success and practical advice is what you need the nonprofit coach with ted hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who along with our host provide advice you can use Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also, a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of the Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart.
1: And welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. We've got a full show for you today. This is your host, Ted Hart. It is Tuesday, May 8th. Uh, We've got lots going on on page one news, and then we've got a terrific uh, All star here for our page two experts. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with the show and those of you who are new, we always start here on the Nonprofit Coach with page one news. <laughs> I'm coming to you live today from the National Headquarters of the Charities Aid Foundation of America. You can find us online at CAFAmerica.org, that's Mm -hmm. C-A-F-America.org. First up here in the uh, page one news, you can follow along over at TedHart.com. Just click on radio, uh, and you'll find over in the radio links today several links to very important reports Uh, that we have covered here on the Nonprofit Coach, but I want to draw your attention to those. Uh, The first up over in the radio links is the 2012 Nonprofit Social Networking Benchmark Report. Very important report. You can download uh, a copy of that report that's going to uh, cover uh, such things as social communities continuing to grow, uh, the ROI of Facebook, uh, common fundraising tactics on on, uh, Facebook, and top factors for nonprofit success in social media. You know, while we're talking about uh, Facebook, I do want to draw your attention. Uh, This is not in the radio links yet, but was tweeted out to you today. For those of you who are following us over on Twitter, that's the uh, Twitter tag, at Ted Hart. You can follow over on Twitter. Uh, But we did uh, just send out to you uh, a judge in uh, 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 Virginia has ruled that the Facebook like button is not protected under the First Amendment. Uh, this is an important ruling, particularly for nonprofits, to understand that social integration of Facebook has changed the dynamics of society in many, many ways, uh, refining what a friend is to privacy issues, its impact on social skills, and ev- almost everything uh, in between. Well, in this particular case, uh, there was a sheriff uh, who was running for reelection uh he did not like the fact that uh several of the uh, folks on his staff uh he had found had liked his opponent's Facebook page and so he fired them uh the uh the claim from the uh the folks who were fired is that that was their first amendment right uh to uh, like anything that they would like on Facebook the judge did not agree uh so the uh the like button uh, is uh, is not protected under First Amendment rights, and I think that's important for all of us uh, to follow this. We'll be adding that to uh, the radio link so that you'll be able to find that directly, uh, but if you follow us at Ted Hart, you'll be able to grab that link right now, right over at Twitter. Um, next up here on uh, page one news is to draw your attention to the 2012 Convio Online Marketing Nonprofit Benchmark Study. We've covered that here on the Nonprofit Coach. I want to draw your attention as we're doing a review of these top reports that are available for uh, here in the nonprofit sector. Next up here on page one, you'll find over in the radio links, the 2011 Donor-Centric Internet and Multi-Channel Giving Benchmark Report. This comes from Blackboard. Uh, You don't want to miss this opportunity to make sure that uh, uh, you understand some of the key findings uh, that it has been increasingly common for new donors to make their first gift online, why and how can that be substantiated in aggregate online acquired donors. Um, have much higher cumulative value over the long term than traditional male-acquired donors, so much more that you can learn over in the 2011 donor-centric Internet and multi-channel giving report. Uh, that brings me to uh, our first guest here on the uh, uh, Nonprofit Coach, Page One News. Uh, today I want to draw your uh, attention uh, to the uh, fine work that we noted last week, on the uh, non-profit coach, the Seattle Foundation had their big event out in Seattle called Give Big, hugely successful uh, here direct from the Seattle Foundation here on the nonprofit profit coach. Uh, Mary Grace is here to tell us how did everything go, Mary, with this year's Give Big?
2: Oh, I think Give Big was uh, a great success this year we doubled the amount of funds raised from last year it was 3.6 to 7.4
1: million this year yeah, let we me also just doubled. stop you right there that's absolutely amazing wonderful work being done the give big uh, raised 7.4 million dollars and this is online contributions supporting charities in the Seattle area correct what do you ad- attribute that kind of success to
2: We attribute the success to two factors this year. The first is that this was the second year of doing Give Big. Um, Last year we introduced the idea and many of the nonprofits were um, new to this online giving. They were new to social media. And so they were more tentative, I think, in approaching this opportunity. When they saw the success we had in 2011, they decided to go full force into 2012 with their communications, their outreach, their creativity,
1: and really the energy they put into making it a success. Well, that, this is uh, this is fantastic for just a, uh, a second year. Now, you had a, a good amount of local business support for this as well, uh, what did uh, the local businesses do to help you with the success? Well, the key to the success of Give Big is
2: the what we call the stretch pool, which provides the incentive for people to give that day. We have an incent, a stretch pool of $500,000, which was used to uh, incent people to give that day, and they the nonprofits would receive a prorated share of that stretch pool based on how much they raised that day. For example, if the total... Uh, give big donations were to your organization were 3% on give big day, then you would get 3% of the stretch pool. Well,
1: um, and and you've got this uh, really interesting, sounds very fun. Uh, What what about uh, the Willy Wonka golden ticket?
2: Oh, yeah, that provides a lot of fun, and it was really interesting to see how the nonprofits really promoted that, um, almost more than they promoted the stretch itself but every hour we would randomly select one uh, donation that had been made during that last hour, and that organization would receive
1: an additional $1,000. So is is this sort of a, a social media online version of telethons?
2: You know, I think that it is, It is in many respects. I think what makes this event work is really the Seattle Foundation's role is to provide this infrastructure, the platform for the nonprofits to do what they do best, which is rally their supporters, tell their story, and get people excited about their cause. So we do that by providing the day, the stretch pool, um, some of the advertising and uh, public relations support for it. But what makes it work are the 1,400 nonprofits who you know, seize this opportunity and make it fun and exciting and engaging for their supporters.
1: Well, what a, a terrific uh, service that you are bringing to uh, the Seattle area, not just the dollars that are raised and the importance that that brings, uh, but uh, to involve, I think it was over 38,000 donations uh, that, that were made. that That's really quite uh, uh, a a high number of involved people
2: yeah and as i said that was double what we did last year Um and many of those thirty eight thousand thirty eight thousand donations many of those are multiple donations made by the same donor so what we see is people who really sit down and decide maybe to do all their giving for the year on that day or people who plan um... We sort of plan their giving around it. Another one of the things that we found is that a good share of the donations made on Give
1: Big are to um, organizations that people haven't given to before. So this really draws attention to important charities that might not have big staffs, might not have the ability to do promotions themselves, but with a platform that you provide and the voice that you bring uh, to uh, the Give Big Day, you're able to really help smaller nonprofits as well. Right, at a relatively low cost, very low cost. Well, that's got to be impressive to all the donors. It's certainly impressive to everyone here at the Nonprofit Coach. Mary Grace from the Seattle Foundation, thank you so much for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach and sharing the wonderful news about the great work being done out in Seattle with the annual Give Big program.
2: Great. Thank you, Ted.
1: You bet. Back here on uh, page one news Uh, we want to draw your attention over to uh, the Conveo report, The Mobile Frontier, Successful Strategies from Text to Give and Beyond. You'll find that over in the radio links at tedhart at tedhart.com. Now, uh, what you uh, need to uh, also find over in the radio links at tedhart.com is a report uh, that uh, is sharing some insight uh, into Canadian giving. And, of course, uh, we uh, just uh, co-hosted the uh, uh, the Digital Leap Conference, which was hugely successful, sold out two weeks in advance. Uh, so we're already looking forward to uh, Digital Leap 2013. But one of the things that we're learning from Statistics Canada, uh, and you'll be able to read about it in the report today, is that Canadians are more charitable with money than they are with time, and it goes on uh, and shares that the amount of money donated uh, during last year was an average of $446 per donor, pretty uh, generous up there in Canada. Uh, read all about it. This uh, uh, survey uh, is based on more than 15,000 Canadians Uh, providing information. So check that out over in the radio links today. Bravo to our friends up in Canada. You'll find that at tedhart.com. Next over in the uh, radio links today, you'll find a uh, terrific free guide that's available to you for download from HubSpot. Over at HubSpot, they have the 10 steps to social link building. Uh, The guide will teach you how to build inbound links using social medias, blog posts, Contests, directories, badges, and much more. This is not only going to help you with what's happening in your social media right now, uh, but it's also going to help you expand your strategy by thinking about things that perhaps you've not thought of uh, before. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is my opportunity uh, to welcome a a very good uh, friend uh, and someone who is representing the new president and CEO of CFRE, uh Sherilyn Hale is here with us, and she is going to uh, bring us this month's edition of the CFRE Minute. Uh, as the immediate past chair and current board member, welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Sherilyn Hale.
3: Thanks very much, Ted. Hello from Toronto.
1: Well, uh, take us away for uh, this month's edition of the CFRE Minute.
3: Thank you. I, uh, As many of your listeners will know, uh, CFRE is the... Uh, international credential for professional fundraisers. And we have uh, well over 5,000 fundraisers uh, in uh, five or six different countries around the world. Uh, But one thing that I thought might be interesting uh, to share with your listeners today uh, is uh, a few of my experiences over the last year or so uh, through my involvement with CFRE visiting to uh, parts of the world where the profession of fundraising is uh, is coming into its own and really emerging and uh, and speaking with them about certification and uh, responding to their interests. Our profession uh, is just exploding in many parts of the world and uh, and our colleagues uh, are looking at certification as a way to Uh, increase recognition of their work as professionals uh, and uh, build their professional communities in their areas uh, and really demonstrate to their public a commitment to accountability and and good practice. So it's been very exciting to to visit such places such as uh, Bermuda, uh, Japan, uh, as well as Kenya and um, very exciting things happening.
1: Well, this is, uh, this is, of course, very exciting for our profession and the expansion of, uh, of CFRE. Um, I was very curious to, uh, to hear from you in this, uh, this month's edition of CFRE Minute that increasingly the approach that CFRE has is establishing those standards that are of global nature and not just um, uh, providing exam to uh, country-specific uh, focus on fundraising
3: we are really trying to tackle how we will uh, approach uh, responding to the demand for certification in uh, in parts of the world that uh, are contacting us uh, obviously we want to do it in a in a credible way and uh, the the core body of research that C- the framework that CFRE operates on uh, is uh, developed through quite a rigorous process called a job analysis and in 2009 and 2010, uh, we conducted uh, an eight-country uh, study uh, asking fundraisers in various parts of the world what they, what they did as fundraisers and the types of knowledge that they needed in order to do those things well. And the remarkable key message from uh, that body of research was that uh, as, as a global professional community, um, there's a tremendous amount of stability in in what we as professionals say is core to good and effective fundraising practice, and so that's the framework that CFRE is built on, uh, and which I think positions um, as a, us as a certification body to be able to respond. Uh, to other parts of the world and our colleagues there who are looking at uh, certification as a way to build and grow their professional community. And, in fact, that is the history of, of CFRE when it was uh, first uh, started in, in the 80s, uh, really viewed as a way to demonstrate uh, that fundraising was its own uh, distinct body of knowledge and uh, and a, helping to build that professional community um, as CFRE moves forward uh, this year, we're going through a, a strategic planning process, and uh, over the coming weeks we will be seeking input from all our current CFREs uh, to get their input on what uh, what our future direction uh, can and should look like. Uh, we're really looking forward to uh, input, particularly as it relates to uh, how we might uh, engage with colleagues in parts of the world that, uh, where the profession is growing.
1: Sherilyn Hale, thank you so much for uh, sharing with us the CFRE Minute this month, uh, sharing with us the globalization of the certification of fundraising executives. Uh, Sherilyn, we look forward to you or another representative of CFRE being back with us next month uh, for the June CFRE Minute, Uh, and then, of course, uh, after that, we take our summer hiatus for July and August, and we'll be back with the CFRE Minute in September. Thank you for joining us today here live on The Nonprofit Coach.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Next up here on uh, The Nonprofit Coach, another uh, very dear friend, uh, someone that uh, always brings us uh, terrific news, and that is Susan McDermott. Uh, Susan McDermott is here from John Wiley and Sons, uh, and she has the announcement of next week's. AFP Wiley Radio Show. Who's going to be our guest uh, next week here on the Nonprofit Coach for the AFP Wiley Radio Show? Welcome, Susan McDermott.
4: Hi, Ted, and thanks so much, as always, for having me. Um, the guest next week is going to be Julia Walker, who is the author of A Fundraising Guide for Nonprofit Board Members, which basically uh, offers the reader everything you need to know as a nonprofit board member to raise more money and help your organization succeed in meeting its goals. Um Julie Walker is a four-time Wiley and AFP Fund Development Series author so she's got a great wealth of experience uh she's she hails from New Orleans and has an awful lot of experience with um fundraising post Katrina and that sort of brings adds some texture to her writing and I think that your I think your listening audience is really going to enjoy the things that she has to say
1: Well she of course is uh well known in our profession as uh uh, one of the top experts and, and quite a prolific uh, writer. Um, certainly to have that many books uh, chosen to be part of the AFP Wiley series is extremely important. Susan, thank you for uh, uh, recruit, recruiting her onto the show. We certainly look forward to... A uh, very robust uh, discussion, and what an important and timely topic you're bringing to us next week uh, for uh, board members and uh, their staffs to be able to work together and, and raise more money.
4: Oh, I completely agree. I completely agree. I think all too often people uh, are asked to join a board and see it as a prestige um, as a prestige thing, but they don't really realize what. It, what it entails fully and how they're, resp- they're responsible to help raise funds for their organization. It's not just something to put on your, on your resume.
1: Exactly, exactly. Well, we're going to be able to explore all of those topics next week uh, due to uh, your wonderful work in helping us uh, recruit a terrific uh, author for uh, next week's AFP Wiley uh, radio show here right on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, Susan, look forward to uh, having you back uh, next month Uh, to share us the good news of the final uh, AFP Wiley author before the summer hiatus. And then, of course, we'll have you back uh, in uh, September to share with us who uh, that guest will be. Thank you, and uh, have a a great rest of your week. Thanks so much, Ted. I look forward to speaking to you next. Take care. Absolutely. Take care. Right back here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, We are uh, wrapped up here on uh, page one, so what that means is we are heading on over to page two. Pat Pasqual is the director of the Washington office of the Foundation Center and is a prior guest here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, We're thrilled to have her back because the last time that Pat was here on the show, uh, she had one of the highest-rated podcasts and live shows here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, Pat was appointed director of the Foundation Center's regional office in Washington, D.C. in April 2008. This is a return engagement uh, for Pat, who served as the D.C.'s director from 1994 to 1999. They couldn't let her go either. She had led the Center's Cleveland office for the nine years prior to that. She also has experience as a public library administrator, both in Cleveland and with the District of Columbia Public Library, where she managed special systems-wide initiatives and outreach services. As director, she oversees the office's information services, Training programs, special events, and plans outreach to local, national, and international nonprofit organizations and to grant makers, as well as to Congress and the Center's Cooperating Collections in the Mid Atlantic region. She has a master's degree in library science from the University of Michigan and a graduate certificate in public administration from George Washington University. She's been very active in numerous philanthropic and community based organizations, but what's most important about Pat Pasqual is that she is live here on the nonprofit coach right now. Pat, welcome back to the nonprofit coach.
5: Ted, thank you for inviting me and totally intimidating me with with your introduction
1: <laughs> well not uh, not intimidating at all to uh, to someone that has the following that you have and the wonderful things that you do uh, so I'm, I'm going to start right off just because i'm so curious my My first question is uh why uh, were you are you so popular? Uh, why, what is it about uh, grant writing that draws people uh, to needing more information?
5: Well, I think, um, as an example, last night we did a program in War which you know is one of the poorer um, sections of Washington, D.C., and we had 40 people in the audience, and um, the class was we chose was proposal writing. Um, I think for many there's a misperception that that is how you raise money for nonprofits. It's the main way. Many, many, many people don't realize that you have to diversify your funding sources. And they come to proposal writing because that is the thing they know about most. I mean, most people don't know about earned income or individual giving. They know proposals, they know big foundations, and that's what gravitates towards those um, they gravitates towards those classes. And so what we try to do at the foundation center is once we get them in is to show them the wide variety of other kinds of um, fundraising techniques that they can actually use
1: and and uh and it's a, a wide variety of things that uh that you train on over at the foundation center why don't Why don't we um talk um, a little bit about what is the foundation center itself? Uh, why does it exist, how does it exist um, and then talk about uh, your office here in washington d c in specific because I know you have uh, a lot of very unique community based programming here, but what is the Foundation center?
5: Well, the Foundation Center, people don't realize, is over 50 years old, and it's the leading source of information about philanthropy worldwide. Um, Through data analysis um, and training, we connect people who want to change the world to the resources they need to succeed. That's our elevator pitch. And um, we've expanded our collection of data and more emphasis on international um, resources and organizations in the last two years. It's been a slight Sort of adjustment of our mission statement.
1: And what about the Washington office? This is um, uh, one of the most active regional offices of the Foundation Center, is it not?
5: Well, we're the we're the we're the second largest after the New York office, which of course isn't headquartered. Um, we get a lot of attention because people think we're the headquarters. <laughs> I get lots of calls from around the world thinking that we're we're headquarters, but we're actually the the, the regional office. We have a kind of an interesting history. We started off uh, as a place where where uh, we were the New York, the foundation center staff who copied 990s. You remember the old the really old 990s on microfiche cards, etc. Um, right before
1: they were available online.
5: We had national. We had a national. We had the other national connect collection outside of New York. But prior to that, before even microfiche, foundations and our staff here were copying things from the Internal Revenue Service office to publish the editions of the foundation, the book editions of the foundation directory. But now we have, you know, outside of New York, we're the second largest, probably epicenter of nonprofit organizations. Almost everybody has a If they don't have a headquarters here, they have a government relations office so we are a rich community of both local and international and national nonprofits uh it's a major industry here in DC in the DC area
1: and and uh so as you said you're you're often confused with being uh the headquarters in your your regional office but certainly a lot of the grant ma- writing that uh, that is done has connections to government sources um, and you're and you're really focused on foundations. Do you cross over and provide training um, or access to information about government funding or just uh, foundation giving?
5: Well, we've done ever since the recession about well, three years ago. Now we've um, tried to here in this office we've and in the other offices in San Francisco, Cleveland, Atlanta, uh, and New York, we've been trying to put. As I said, trying to put grant-seeking in its right perspective, and we've done programs on other types of grant-seeking grant, grant seeking, uh, rather than just other kinds of fundraising. And one of the things we've done here in this office is we've been annually offering programs on federal how to get money from the feds, on how to do grants.gov, how to register, um, how to actually try to figure a way through the catalog of federal domestic assistance, et cetera, so we've been doing that, and we had a program a couple of weeks ago that was sold out, and just people realize that they have to spread their wings. But on the other side of the picture, we increasingly are getting calls from government agencies who are saying we're ending our our grant-making programs, and we want our grantees to know how to get into the institutional private grant-seeking Mode, so it's kind of an interesting relationship here. <laughs> yeah, I know, it really
1: is, and and uh, and really puts a, a stress and strain on on those private uh, private resources. So let's talk a little bit about the the private resources, which is a a focus. This is uh, corporate foundations and private foundations. Correct. Mm-hmm. And what's the distinction between the two? Uh, is, are there specific skills that? Uh, uh, nonprofit organizations need to have related to each?
5: Well, yes, and I think more, I heard someone yesterday who um, Kiplinger, Mr. Kiplinger from Kiplinger Magazine spoke yesterday at a Booz Allen Hamilton um, talk, and he talked about um, the fact that more and more corporate giving is tied to their bottom line. It's their public relations dollars. It's not philanthropic dollars. And I think that's really important for people who are getting into the uh, fundraising mode to realize. We actually teach. We have our grant-seeking class, which really is geared towards strategies used to approach um, private foundations, family independent, and some company foundations. But we also have another class on introduction to corporate giving where we stress a whole different set of techniques and skills that you need in order to get into that that particular um, market. I was teaching our uh, class on your board and fundraising this morning, and we were talking about how you use your board people to be gatekeepers for corporations to get you in the door to the right people. And they ne- they don't necessarily link you to philanthropic dollars, but to advertising and promotional dollars uh, underwriting club-related marketing kinds of projects.
1: And, and so, what is the? I mean, that's a, as you heard in uh, page one. Uh, the uh, AFP Wiley um, radio show is next week, and our topic is on uh, on this issue of board member involvement. Um, specifically, um, the topic for today, what is the role for board members to play in grant writing?
5: Well, I think they can play a number of roles. Um, we go through a whole list of things in our class that we talk about, from helping to gather information about the um, grant grant-making community, you know, executive directors are really busy, and um, you could assign board members to scanning, like the Washington Business Journal, or signing on to blog, local blogs, philanthropic blogs in the area to pick up clues and to know background. Um, Your board members have to help with the fundraising plan. Um, We talk about unless they help with the plan, they're not going to buy in and do what the plan says they have to do at the end. Uh, So you want to make sure you do that. They help with compiling lists of annual um for your annual campaign. They can help write your uh proposal if they have good, you know, communication skills. And one of the new things that a lot of people are talking about is they can advocate advocate for you if you're going for federal or local dollars. They can actually testify at hearings, et cetera, for your organization. Now now,
1: so, now Pat, I'm gonna stop you right there because isn't fundraising magic isn't is not is not this just a magical thing? You're, you're, no. you're saying that there are actually concrete <laughs> things that board members can and should do to oh, help advance grant writing.
5: Oh, absolutely! It's not it's most a lot of board people say one of the reasons they don't do fundraising is they don't know how. Um, and once you show them, you know, it can become you know a competition. It can be fun. We talked about making it fun for your board people. Make it, you know, like winning the, winning a basketball game or winning a, um, you know, a golf tournament. Um, you're winning for your clients because, after all, what is fundraising about but the people you're trying to serve? And if you can win the money for them, you're doing, you know, good, better, you know, helping better the world. And what what's more important than that?
1: And, and, and one of the things that uh, – uh, is uh, is important to know about grant writing, particularly the the sorts of things that you're talking about. Is this can be truly transformational. So this is really a team sport. This isn't just we hire one of those magical grant writers and they bring in big dollars.
5: Exactly. I mean, part of the the success the successful nonprofit organization who writes for proposals knows that it's not the proposal that gets you the grant. It's the organization's. Um, reputation, reputation, um, it's staffing, et cetera. The proposal only reflects what you do when you've got a, uh, you know, which Witch of the West in there. It's not going to, you know, looking in the mirror is not going to, you know, getting a nice new mirror is not going to work for you. So it's really that's the trick with, with proposal writing. And And to be honest, I mean, one of the things that's happening is proposal writing, Is changing with online forms we have a whole new set of skills and process I think of a different process that you have to go through in order to get to get to the through the submission process
1: well that's um, uh, that really has changed and that's been in the last uh, few years are there specific um, uh, techniques that you share with folks in terms of how to excel in the electronic format because I, I often think of that as, as being a bit more flat than perhaps uh, a well-written, well-laid-out uh, proposal might have been in the past that you had more opportunities to stand out in the way you presented it uh, where now the information is now scannable, Keywords become important um, in how you fill out those electronic forms. Well, oh, I think
5: it's you're perfectly right. I, I spent an hour getting my... Uh, activity statement into 80 words for a proposal um, last week. And I'm thinking, hmm, didn't have to do that before. But, you know, it's very precise, some of these online applications, 40 words for your mission, 80 words for your activity statement. And you can't tell stories. You can't use too many statistics. You have to be very strategic, very brief. Um, It's a more, you know, disciplined, it calls for more discipline because you've really got to distill, 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 distill. But on the other hand, you still need all the information, your work papers, your timelines, your statements of needs and objectives. But you still have to have that because, in truth, you're not submitting one proposal anymore frequently. I know I do. I have four different versions. I have a one-page, two-page, uh, an eight-page, and a five-page version, and you've got to sort of switch. So, yeah, I think it, you have to be disciplined and flexible in terms of what you're putting into your proposals, depending on the length that the funder... Um, requires
1: now, now that 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 is that sounds to me like some very specific advice that you're giving folks uh, in terms of these different versions of of your your grants that you need to be prepared to tell your story in one page two page five page ten page tell mm-hmm. me how how recent uh, is that in the evolution of grant writing, and then as you answer that from the nonprofit's perspective. Can you give me some insight into is this leading to more successful grant writing from the funder's side, or is this just reducing paper?
5: Well, I think um, in terms of how what you have to do, proposals are basically reflections of work plans. So you have to do that. <laughs> and thank goodness for word processing, because now you can take things and slim them down and pump them up depending on the need. Um so I think it is that it's it's basically you have to, it's an exercise you have to go through and why some want five and some want eight and some want ten and some only want two. Um, it depends on you know some funders are doing the two-step process with a letter of intent, letter of inquiry, and we're seeing more of that in the last couple of years where they want the letter of inquiry, they do that, and then you know you come back and you have to submit a full proposal. We have and the letter
1: inquiry almost becomes more more important because that's your pitch piece. That's right That's and, right. And so and how, what, mm-hmm. what advice do you give uh, in getting through that, that phase? Because once you're invited on, your odds of getting funded are much better, but it right. getting through that first wave that is now maybe the most difficult hurdle.
5: Right, and I think that again is it's discipline. You have to you have to have the big picture and then distill it. This is where you get a really good writer and someone who can really sort of get in. You only got one page or maybe two to pitch your story, and it's 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 harder. It's always harder to write short than it is to write long pieces. And focusing and making sure you're covering all the points that the funder asks for. And some of, sometimes there are a lot of issues that they ask you to cover in a letter of intent. You only got like two pages. Um to get through, but trying to really distill distill think, analyze, be strategic, and get it on those two pages, and have it really well written so that you get your point across
1: so um it's the strategy of the big picture this isn't uh this is sounding to me like this is a lot less of general funding uh and much more project based with outcomes,
5: oh yes, well, you know that. You and I both know that outcomes is a magic word. Everybody funders want outcomes, not outputs. And how do you prove um, what you're doing? Um, and it's okay. It's not, they don't want you to just do things. You want to prove that what you've done is success. How do you show success is really important.
1: At all. We're going to take a little bit of a station break. And when we come back, I'm wondering if you can uh, help uh, our listeners uh, learn what is grant space. Uh, oh, and good. we will be right back. I want to draw your attention to the next several shows uh, coming up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach. As uh, you just uh, heard uh, from Susan McDermott, Uh, we're very pleased uh, to bring to you uh, next week um, the AFP Wiley uh, radio show. Uh, and uh, extremely pleased uh, to have uh, Julia Ingram Walker uh, as our guest next week. Uh, The following uh, show is our monthly uh, partnership with the Green Nonprofits Organization, uh, and we will be bringing uh, to you the Green Show. Amy Frankel, who is the Director and Regional Representative of the UN Environment Program Regional Office of North America, uh, will be our guest on the, right here on the nonprofit coach uh, on uh, uh, on May 22nd. There's no show the week of May 29th, uh, or the show that would regularly be scheduled due to the Memorial Day holiday in the United States. Uh, so that's a great day to mark your calendar to catch up on podcasts of which there are approaching 100 podcasts of the Nonprofit Coach. We'll be right back on the uh, June 5th uh, show. uh, I'm sorry, the the June 5th show also is not going to be taking place because uh, we're going to be down at the AFP Techno Conference, uh, and we will be providing you with more information on how you can participate in the AFP Techno Conference uh, in Orlando. We'll be wrapping up uh, the last three shows of the Nonprofit Coach before our planned summer hiatus. Rob Mitchell will be with us on June 12th, providing us with the latest information uh, from Atlas of Giving. Uh, We will then have our June Green Show on June 19th. And then wrapping up uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach before we head off to the summer hiatus is going to be June 26th. Uh, Just like Pat Pasquale, who's our guest today, another one of the top-rated presenters here on the Nonprofit Coach is Penelope Burke. Uh, she's going to be bringing the latest in her uh, Cygnus donor research um, right here on the Nonprofit Coach and send us off in great fashion uh, for the summer hiatus. We're going to be uh, heading right back to Pat Pasqual, Director of the Washington Office of the Foundation Center. Uh, we've got a lot coming up here on the show the next few weeks and uh, as I have shared with people several times the uh, last time that you were here on the Nonprofit Coach you were one of the most uh, uh, popular uh, live shows and podcasts uh, that we had uh, ever had one of the things that you offer over at the Foundation Center is something called Grant Space. What is that?
5: Well this is an exciting second I think it's the second website we have several now um, but and about a year ago, a little bit over a year ago, we we launched Grantspace.org. And it's a service of the Foundation Center, and it's a website just for grant seekers. We have our classic page, FoundationCenter.org, which has everything on it. And people often said when they went there, they got lost. Um, there was just too much information. So Grantspace was a redesign and a, an expansion of the services that we offer for grant seekers. Um, it's divided into groups. There's a section on if you're researching for arts organizations, educations, etc. cetera. Um, and then you can go and see frequently asked questions there. You can see webinars. You can join forums. We have sample documents in those sections. Um, but my favorite is the skill section. We use this all the time. You can go to skills, and it lists all the major skills in fundraising, Um introduction to corporate giving, board development, fundraising planning, et cetera. And, again, you can get multimedia resources, podcasts, um, recorded webinars, frequently asked questions, statistics, um, sample documents, et cetera. Um, and so it's a very, very popular tool uh, for people. Uh, and it can be used around the world, which is amazing because, it's you know, you can look at a webinar at 3 o'clock in Tokyo if you want, and it's not tied to – coming to a training program in the United States.
1: So this is available directly at grantspace.org, and folks can follow you on Twitter as well uh, for the offerings over at Grantspace, and this is an additional service of the Foundation Center.
5: Yeah, we have... We have each Foundation Center field office has a Twitter account. I forget how many we were up to. We're about seven or seven or eight Twitter accounts. We all have blogs, and we all have Facebook pages. So I was interested in all the new studies about social media. Um, they're extremely, when we have classes here in Washington, they're overflowing. We we have a class coming up on LinkedIn, and it will sell out in like you know, two weeks after we post it on our page uh, with people The enormous interest and hunger. For really good information amongst the nonprofit sector is like unquenchable.
1: It it uh, it is always very uh, very popular. I'm going to be presenting tomorrow uh, as part of the AFP webinar series uh, my uh, latest webinar audio conference on social media and online fundraising and uh, and these things are uh, always sell out and are and are very popular. So uh, anyone who's uh, interested in that uh, can go to AFP net dot org uh, click on professional development you'll be able to uh, register for that webinar tomorrow uh... but you're absolutely right it's a it's a hot topic but um, are foundations using social media or is is this uh... not quite gotten into the foundation world yet
5: oh it has the center did a study back in september of twenty ten and it showed that um, about one-third of foundation CEOs were using Facebook and, blog- and blogs at that point, and only 6% were using Twitter. That was September of 2010. If you go on to another foundation center website called glasspockets.org, you can see list of um, foundations who are using um, all the different types of delicious, um, all the variety of social media and um online tools that disseminate and storify, et etc. all those things are now listed by um foundation on glasspockets.org and also when you go into the foundation directory online um there is a another category is what social media tools are foundations using um our experience is that it's more they do a lot more um disseminating of of information than they were a couple years ago and more and more people are using um, Facebook and Twitter, and, and I think the, the Seattle Foundation um, example you just had on is very common. We had in D.C., uh, the Community Foundation for the National Capital Region did uh, give to the Max Day last November, which was very similar, where everybody had to give through social media, there were trainings, et cetera. So I think funders are using it, and they're also, I think, very nicely teaching their grantees how to use it as well
1: well the uh, the glass pockets is a is a terrific site um in drawing attention to uh the kinds of uh, work that uh, is being done uh in social media and the kinds of services that are being provided um, by various uh, organizations w- what is most prevalent in in or or maybe the most successful way for nonprofits to social media wise be in contact with foundations
5: well I think it's partially is having a site or having some place for a funder to look. We have a lot of international groups that come through here and one of the things that, you know, funders automatically do now is they expect you to have some sort of social media presence because <laughs> they want to check you out. And I think for funders it's a it's a non-intrusive way of actually checking out nonprofits to see how you're doing. Um so you want to have some kind of social media uh presence. We've had a lot of speakers here, and one of the things they say, and I think it's really important, is you don't have to have everything. Um, have one that's really good. <laughs>
1: yeah, and don't spread really yourself too thin if you're uh, a small organization. You, you really want to uh, do a very good job with whatever it is that you do.
5: Right. Pick one and you know give it the best. If you've got more people, you can do it, but have a really good one rather than a bunch of mediocre
1: reports. Now here at uh, the Charities Aid Foundation uh, of America, um, uh, of which I'm the, the new CEO, um, what uh, the, the expertise that we have built over the last 20 years uh, is in the arena of international giving, vetting charities, and uh, providing millions of dollars of financial support to charities around the world. Um, what are you seeing in the international grant making arena?
5: Well, it's a very interesting topic for the Foundation Center. And um, as I mentioned, our mission has been expanded to really be more active in that area. And so we came out with a product about, I think it was about two years ago, is Philanthropy Insights. And this is a really exciting people... Um, it was originally geared for um, foundations, but the nonprofit world has, has sort of embraced it wildly when they find out that this is for the first time. You can go on to... Uh, a website, and actually see um, funders um, outside the United States and get some basic information on them. Um, Philanthropy Insights is a separate sort of subscription from Foundation Directory Online, but it's also available at most of our cooperating collections, of which we have now over 460 in the United States, where you can go out and check to see um, if there are, you know, what, 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 Foundations exist in Europe and Africa and China, et cetera. It's nowhere near a complete list, but it is the beginning and it's like the first time we've started putting this type of information on um our our websites and in and in our products.
1: And and uh and that's primarily uh potential funders outside of the United States who might mm-hmm. uh, fund within the US? Yes. Okay. Uh, Pat, we're going to take uh, just a, a very quick uh, break for a reminder uh, here. And uh, when we come back, I was wondering if uh, you would uh, be so kind as to share your, your top few tips on actually getting funded. And uh, we'll be right back.
0: Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart.
1: And, Pat, we're uh, we're back. Uh, So how do uh, uh, charities that are listening today, how do they actually get funded?
5: Well, first of all, you have to have a good mission and do a good job. (laughs) Um, You have to know... You have to be you have to have passion um and you have to really be strategic about how you're doing good um and making sure you're getting the most bang for your buck. I think planning and research are essential. Um you have to keep asking yourself why 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 am I doing this? Why am I approaching this funder, etc. Um so that you can get again the best results for your limited resources. And I think thirdly is building up um board and volunteers to support you in this very tough fundraising environment.
1: And
0: and how
1: I, I hear what, what you keep saying is be focused, have your information, um, and be flexible. Um, so how does an organization get funding for general purposes, uh, or is that just not possible? Be realistic. That's not where the funding is going to come from.
5: Well, I think you have to be realistic that it may not come from that resource. Um, you know the statistics about individual giving, and you know the giving u s a pie chart with earned income and um as and then as the whole I find fascinating is the individual giving on social media um so I think you have to foundation giving is usually project support and it's limited for a number of years, and so you have to have a diversified funding. Um, funding streams to keep yourself up, and for general operating support, you should be looking at individuals and earned income.
1: And and that really is part of your overall strategy as well, is to not uh, just view foundations as quick money, as easy money, but as a part of an overall strategy, because isn't it uh, the case that to get foundation uh, funding, you really need to have uh, those individual advocates and those individual donors—they're going to look for broad-based community support as opposed to just being the first funder.
5: Right. I mean, the whole there's now sections in proposals that ask—is you know, talk about the sustainability of your organization. You know, what are you doing now? What are you doing in the future? What if you don't raise the money this year, et cetera? What's your plan B? But sustainability questions in um, proposal application guidelines are you know now a new feature that never existed before. It used to be called future funding. It's now, so now it's sustainability.
1: And and so if uh, if that's part of your strategy, what what is the chicken and the egg? Is, is it uh, individual giving first, and then you can look to corporations or foundations? Uh, because a lot of organizations really have not perfected um, understanding individual giving.
5: Yeah, I think I mean most of the small organizations we we have lots of little ones who come through our organization. They're they're existing on you know gifts from family and friends et cetera, and they want to make a jump to uh, foundation funding. But when you talk to foundations, they're going to say you need to sort of like get a little bit more organized in that individual giving, um, and then we we help you with projects and you know expansion et cetera. Um, but for general operating support, you have to look. You know, you have to look elsewhere, and as individuals um, historically have been the way that, you know, many, many small organizations exist, surely on volunteers and individual giving before they make the leap to institutional giving. Because there's so many demands when you go to foundations that, you know, are you ready to, to handle reports and evaluation, et cetera. Well, let, let's talk a little bit
1: about that because, uh, you know, th- what uh, a lot of folks are hoping is that this is, uh, the the big check that's going to save the day, um, but what you're saying is it, this is really part of a broader strategy. There's a lot of reporting. Know what you're getting in for before you start really seeking that funding.
5: Correct. Um, and I think not only the rate I mean the fundraising part is really important. Um, but making sure that your organization in that early stages stays legal. <laughs> There's so many pitfalls for nonprofit organizations that you know, in terms of their um, nonprofit status, that you can you know not filing your 990s, not doing your biannual reports, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you've got to have all that. You've got to stay legal, you know, in order to get institutional. And that's you know, any all kind part of-, of the pre-planning.
1: We do have an email question uh, from Mike, and I guess it's a simple question. We've been talking about uh so much about strategy today uh but uh mike is asking how do i find a foundation that can fund me
5: well um that's that's a good one for me um the foundation center has the foundation directory online database which has um about 90,000 foundations in it and grants um and you can actually access that um it's a product um that large many large and medium sized organizations buy and some small but they're also it's also available at our 460-plus cooperating collections throughout the United States. And if you go to grantspace.org and there's a button that says Find Us, you can put in your zip code, it'll direct you to the nearest cooperating collection, and then you can go in and talk to the person. They'll help you uh, learn how to navigate the database because it's databases. There are nine databases, and but you're going to focus probably on three. And the person there will give you some training on how to So, Pat,
1: is it free if you go to a collection, but it's a paid service if you get it at your desktop?
5: Correct, correct, yes. And basically you want to know, you're going to be searching by your subject area, your um, geographic area, and the type of support. And it is for nonprofit organizations primarily. Um, There are some grants to individuals, but basically foundations make grants to organizations with their 501c3s or government agencies.
1: And uh Mike, I hope that uh, answers your question and I'm sorry I did mean to uh uh to recognize that that's uh Mike from San Antonio who uh, uh had uh, written in uh, that question uh pat it's always amazing to me how fast uh, these shows uh go and how much uh uh time uh or how much uh, progress we're able to uh, to make um How can people reach you how can they they reach uh the Washington office of the Foundation Center? uh for the services that you provide.
5: Okay, well my email is PEP at foundationcenter.org and the website for the um Foundation Center's DC office is wwwfoundationcenterorg forward slash Washington. Um and we also you can um check us out on Twitter uh and we also have a blog our blog our twitter it's twitter.com forward slash FC Washington And we also have a blog that you can follow us on, dcblog.foundationcenter.org.
1: And all that information is going to be available at foundationcenter.org forward slash Washington? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, terrific. Um, Now, Pat, just um, quickly, you mentioned some of your educational programs. What's coming up um, in uh, in the D.C. area or at other collections that uh, people should know about?
5: Well, um, two exciting things outside of D.C., Cleveland and San Francisco are celebrating their 35th anniversary as, as regional offices of the Foundation Center. So they've got all kinds of special programs, so do check out their programs all during this year. Um, we're in the middle of funding for International Programs Month here in D.C. Uh, we have the uh, a program on funding for um, programs around Africa uh, coming next week. We have Global Giving is coming to do a program here. And then we have a fun program on called... Um, uh, working abroad, the realities. And it's, we have um, people who worked abroad talking about what it's really like for all these people who want to go and work overseas. So that's in May. And then we have a number of social media programs. We have a program on LinkedIn and on the cloud and, and, and a whole host of programs during the summer as part of our TechSense program, which helps people with social media. So, so a lot of people
1: sign up for right yes. at your website. Correct. Pat Esquale, the director of the Washington Office of the Foundation Center. Thank you so much for being our guest here on The Nonprofit Coach. No doubt another uh, top-rated performance today here on The Nonprofit Coach. We'll be right back next week here at 12 noon Eastern, uh, right back here on The Nonprofit Coach with the AFP Wiley, a very special show next week on board members and how they can help you with fundraising. Take care, Pat. Thanks for being my guest today.
5: Well, thank you for asking me, Ted, and we're going to have you come to Washington soon.
1: Well, my office is in Alexandria, so it won't take me far, long to get there. Just let me know when you need me. Take okay. care, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.
5: <laughs>
0: Even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW report. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. With the
2: Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere.